I invite you to find Psalm 119 in your Bible. The words of Psalm 19 that we're going to look at together will also be up on the screen in the front if you don't have a Bible with you. If, uh, if you're familiar with Psalm 19, excuse me, 119, you know that it's really, really, really long, and we've condensed our study to just verses 9 through 16. Psalm 119, verse 9, is what you're looking for. Our summer study is on this subject of sexual purity. We have this great question in front of us at Psalm 119, 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? And we're studying the answer to that question. So if you're just joining us, that's what is going on. We're coming to Psalm 119, this little eight-verse segment, verses 9 through 16, that begins with a question, how can a young man keep his way pure? We're studying the answer to that question. And we uh, started last Sunday to discover the answer. The first thing we did was notice that the answer is actually given to us in five different strands. So there are five parts to the answer, at least five parts. And we have to hold them all together. So if our interest is purity, and especially sexual purity, if that's our interest, if that's what we're trying to work toward, we understand that there's a multi-stranded answer that we're working on and that we have to hold them all together. So the example we used last week is an example like resolve. We know that if we're pursuing purity, resolve is one of the things that we have to have that will come to that part of the answer. We'll do that in a few weeks. We've got to have resolve, but resolve is not the only thing that is the answer. It's not the only thing that we can have. There are other parts as well. And we started last week by noticing that one part of the answer, one strand, is our posture or our heart attitude towards the subject. As we think about this matter of sexual purity, we have to approach it as um, a guard and as a student. In other words, we have to be willing to say to God, teach me in this area. Teach me what it means to be pure and what it means to be impure. That's the heart attitude that we have to have. Today we're talking about the second strand. The strand of our affections. So today we get to talk about the things that we love. That's the second strand this matter of what we give our hearts to because it affects the pursuit of purity, okay? That's where we're headed today. We're just going to make a few observations and then we're going to move right to practical application. I think that's a good structure for the middle of the summer, okay? Simple is good. So we'll make three observations and then we'll move to practical application. Let's read verses one through, or excuse me, verses nine through sixteen. Let's stand, if you're able, for the reading of the word, um, in order to honor God. Psalm one nineteen, beginning in verse nine. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. 
Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Father, we uh, want to take a moment and come to you in prayer before we dig into these things further. And it's on my heart um, as um, a pastor among these people to not only minister in these moments to spiritual needs that we have, but also to remember before you the physical needs that are represented here, both in this room and those who are watching online. There are physical needs of every kind. There are people who have been suffering for a long time with the same issue. Lord, have mercy on them, we pray. There are people who have discovered new issues, new physical concerns that have just popped up and they have no idea what's going to happen. Lord, have mercy, we pray. Give sustaining grace to those who are suffering in their body. Father, please give healing in Jesus' name. I pray on their behalf over every physical need in this room for your tender care and your healing, Father. We give these things to you believing that you care and that you love us. So, Father, we lift up these physical needs to you. We pray in these moments you administer to our souls and to our spiritual needs. Have mercy on our souls as well, Father. For we ask in Jesus' strong name, amen. Please be seated. We just want to make three very simple observations uh, to begin with. From verses 9 through 16, here's the first one. The first thing that we observe is that affection for God is present. Just noticing as we read through here the passage that we just read that affection for God is present here, all right? I'm going to point out three times where that's noticeable in this passage, where we see the author's affection for God coming through. Look at verse 10, the very first part of verse 10. With my whole heart, I seek you. We see a heart set on God. We could call that devotion. This person is devoted to God, and that's a mark of affection, isn't it? We're devoted to what we love. We see it again in verse 12. Blessed are you, O Lord. That's a direct address of God. The author is directly addressing God in this way. Blessed are you, O Lord. We could call that praise. Praise is another mark of affection, isn't it? We Praise what we love. 
And then moving on down, verse 14, we're just noticing where we see affection for God in this short segment. We see it again in verse 14. In the way of your testimonies, I delight. So there is devotion to God. There is praise for God. And now there is delight in God. We see a person delighting in God. That's another mark of affection. They're finding pleasure in God. And there are marks of affection all the way through Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. These marks of affection just keep popping up. You know, if we were tasked with writing an answer to this question, the question at the very beginning of the passage, how can a young man keep his way pure? If it was our job to write an answer to that question, we would probably write it in bullet point form, like we were writing an instruction manual or like we were writing a textbook. We would say, okay, here are the five ways that you can keep your way pure. One, two, three, four, five. Nice and linear. And we're just noticing that's not what we have here in this segment. That's not the form in which the answer is given. We have an artistic, non-linear, Holy Spirit-inspired song as an answer to this question. Affection for God is just not one bullet point that the author hits and then moves on. It's given to us at several different points. It's one strand that runs through the whole segment. Keeps popping up. It keeps coloring everything else that's part of the answer. And the same could be said for the other strands as well. We're observing poetry. So truth is not the only goal in poetry. Beauty is a goal also. We're observing truth and beauty. Truth beautifully presented. And the first thing we see is that affection for God is present in the life of this author. Okay? Now, second observation. Affection for God is strong. First observation, affection for God is present here. Second observation, affection for God is Strong. So the spectacle here is not that affection for God is present. That's not the thing that surprises us. It's not surprising to see someone who says, I love God. The surprising thing, the thing that demands our attention, that we want to pay attention to, is the strength of that affection. Back to verse 10. With my whole heart... I seek you. Verse 14. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. The amazing thing is the strength of this person's affection. Affection for God. That's the amazing thing, that they feel this way about God. And that's something that may be really hard for us to identify with. We may only know from experience what it's like to have a strong affection for something else besides God. 
We know what it's like to have a strong desire for revenge. Or a strong desire to achieve something great. Or maybe a strong desire for another person. We know what strong affection feels like. We may just sit here and not be able to identify with a strong affection for God. Can any of us say, with my whole heart, I seek you? Can any of us say, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches? Are you as eager to open up your Bible and enjoy God and his law as you are to become a millionaire? Which one of those things would make you jump up and down and text your friends? Opening up the scriptures and reading about God and his law or winning a million dollars? This person delights in the way of God's testimonies as much as in all riches. So the amazing thing is the strength of affection on display here. The strength of affection for God. That's our second observation. Affection is present. Affection is strong. Third and final observation is this. Strong affection for God results in noble desires and practices. Strong affection for God results in noble desires and practices. And we're going to notice where we see that in the word. Notice how every time there's a statement of affection, we went through those earlier, verse 10, verse 12, verse 14. Notice how every time there's a statement of affection, it's immediately followed by the statement of a noble desire or noble practice. Verse 10, with my whole heart, I seek you. That's a statement of affection. Result, let me not wander from your commandments. That's a practical application step, isn't it? Affection is spilling over into application. All this love for God, and it's spilling over into application. So with my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander. Verse 12, blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches, affection, result. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight. I will not forget. All of this affection is spilling over into application. Strong affection resulting in noble desires and practices. We see that all the way through this segment. And, of course, that's exactly what we want to see in our own lives. We want to see strong affection for God resulting in noble desires and practices. A love for God that naturally results in noble, pure practices. That's what we want for ourselves. 
That's what we want for our children. We are not after begrudging rule-keeping. That's not what we're after here in this pursuit of sexual purity. We're after much more than rule-keeping. We're after a strong affection for God that naturally spills over into a life of purity, sexually and, and otherwise. Now, have you, as you've noticed, there's just one problem. Where does that strong affection come from? If a strong affection for God is integral to our pursuit of purity, and we see from the scriptures that we just looked at, it is, it is integral. A strong affection for God is huge, and it spills over into noble desires and practices. Well, there's just one problem. How do I get that? If I don't have it, if I'm sitting here in the room or watching online, I realize that's great for this person, but I just don't have a strong affection for God. So this is all null and void. Where does it come from? How do you cultivate that? How can a church give that to you? How can your parents give that to you? How can anyone give that to you? We're going to spend our application time trying to answer that question, okay? So we're moving from observations into our practical application now. And we're trying to answer the question, where do you get a strong affection for God? Where does that come from? Let's give our answer in three parts, and then we'll be finished, okay? The first thing that we want to understand is that a strong affection for God is in Jesus. That's where it is. When we look at ourselves and we evaluate our own hearts and we're examining what we're like on the inside and we're coming to the realization, my own affection for God is really weak. When we make that observation about ourselves, when we read this section of Psalm 119, and we see these phrases like, with my whole heart I seek you, and phrases like, in the way of your testimonies I delight, and we realize I just don't feel that way, that I only love God half-heartedly, or quarter-heartedly, or eighth-heartedly, I really don't delight in the way of his testimonies. When we have those moments of reflection and honesty with ourselves, here is what we need to think next. I don't have those things. Jesus has those things. He does. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the Psalms. And of all the scriptures... What we cannot do or can only do half-heartedly, he did fully. Look at these words again. Now read them from Jesus' perspective. 
the words of verses 9 through 16. Read them as though he is the one saying them. Jesus is the one who sought the Father with his whole heart. Jesus is the one who delighted in the way of the Father's testimonies as much as in all riches. Jesus is the one who could look up and say, Blessed are you, O Lord, and feel it in his heart. We may come into this room and sing to God words like, Blessed are you, O Lord, without feeling anything. Jesus could say that and know it and feel it in his heart. Blessed are you, O Lord. So the very first thing that we need to understand is that Jesus has what we are looking for. A strong affection for God. He has it. We want it. We desire it. We wish we had it. He does. What we're looking for is outside of ourselves. That's the first part of our answer. A strong affection for God is in Jesus. Here's the second part. And this is the truly wonderful thing. In the atonement. In the atonement. Jesus gave his life for me and to me. In the atonement, Jesus gave his life for me and to me. First part of our answer, a strong affection for God is in Jesus. Second part of our answer, in the atonement, Jesus gave his life for me and to me. When we say the atonement, we mean the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And when we think about the atonement, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, usually we focus on the reality that he gave his life for me, for my benefit to pay the penalty for my sin so that I might receive forgiveness and eternal life. He gave his life for me, and that's true. That happened in the atonement, but that's not all that happened in the atonement. Jesus not only gave his life for me, he also gave his life to me. The atonement was not a a detached transaction where Jesus did something for us but remained aloof and did not enter into any kind of association with us. Like if someone mowed your yard for you and then just went home. Or if someone at the restaurant paid your bill for you and just Left. That's not what the cross was like, where Jesus did, just did something for us, but didn't enter into any kind of association with us. It's just the opposite. Jesus entered in the atonement into the closest possible association with us. 
He became our sin. And he gave us his own life. Paul makes that point memorably and beautifully in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. This is one of the best known sentences in the entire New Testament. Talking about Jesus. He, that's God, he, God the Father, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, there was a transfer in the atonement. He took our sin and he gave us his own righteous life. We have become something through the atonement. We have become the righteousness of God in him. And Paul writes to the Galatians, For I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. See, there it is again. The life of Christ given to Paul to live out instead of his own life. Paul's dead You are dead. I am dead. Christ lives in me. Christ lives in us now. We've been given his life to live. Christian, everything that Jesus is, is yours. Through your faith in him. Do you know what that means? It means that his purity is yours. And it means that his strong affection for God is yours. Remember that just a moment ago we were admiring the fact that Jesus is the one who has a strong affection for God. That quality that we desire. Oh God, how I wish I loved you more. Please get that into my life somehow. That's what we were talking about. Jesus is the one who has that, that we're looking for, and we're noticing that that is now yours by faith in Jesus. This life of delighting in the commands of God, this life of blessing God truly and seeking him with an undivided heart, you don't have to look for it. You have it. You have it in Jesus. Everything that he is, he has made yours through the atonement. We're asking the question, where does a strong affection for God come from? Strong affection for God is in Jesus. In the atonement, Jesus gave his life for me and to me. That means I have a strong affection for God. It's mine because of the atonement. It's a gift. And here's part three, the last part of our answer. Give your heart to the atonement of Jesus every day. 
Give your heart to the atonement of Jesus every day. The vision that I want to set before you is to become a generation of people who have completely given themselves over to the atonement of Jesus. That's kind of an abstract concept, isn't it? Hear someone stand up front and say that, you immediately think, what does that mean? Give my heart to the atonement of Jesus every day? It's very abstract. Think about Paul. The Apostle Paul gave his whole life and his whole mind to the atonement of Jesus. So much so that he could write to a church, I decided to know nothing among you except Christ crucified. That's all. I decided to know nothing among you except Christ crucified. That's what he wrote to the church in Corinth. If the atonement was a sufficient enough thing and a worthy enough thing for Paul to give his whole life and his whole mind to, it is a sufficient enough thing and a worthy enough thing for you to give every day to. Yes, you can give your whole life to the atonement. But I'm just talking about giving your every day to the atonement. There is so much daily help in the atonement. There is so much hourly help. There is so much moment-by-moment help in the atonement. Think about what we learn there. In the atonement, we learn that we are not enough, but Jesus is enough. We learn that we are not enough, but Jesus is enough. I need that realization every hour. That we are not enough, that there is no sufficiency in ourselves. All of our sufficiency is in him. It was his death that was required to satisfy the Father, not mine. He is the sufficient one, not me. The atonement is where all of my lack was supplied by all of his fullness. In the atonement, we learn that we are completely broken, but we are worthy of redemption. We are completely broken, but we are worthy of redemption. The atonement speaks to both our great deficiency, but also our great value before God. As the crown of his good creation, but fallen, but still valuable enough to him to be bought back, to be redeemed and redeemed by the blood of an only son, by the blood of the eternal Word of God. 
we learn how broken we are, broken enough to need saving by someone else, but so valuable to God as to be bought back by the blood of an only son. We're still talking about the hourly help that we receive in the atonement. In the atonement, we learn that there is pain before there is glory. In the atonement, we learn that there is pain before there is glory. Your life is following the same trajectory as Jesus' life. That means that there will be opposition and there will be pain and there will be trouble before there is glory. And you know from experience the reality of that statement. Your experience confirms this truth. The atonement of Christ shows us that reality of pain before glory and gives us fellowship in our suffering. The atonement is where we learn that God loves us, and it is where we learn to love God. The atonement is everything that we need and nothing that we could ever achieve. It is the atonement that you need. Do not believe the lie that sexual impurity is what you need in order to have life. The atonement is what you need in order to have life. The atonement of Jesus is what you need and it's what you have been given and now you can give yourself to it every day. And if there is power enough in the atonement to save you from a lifetime of sin, then there is power in the atonement to save you from a day of sin. Take the atonement as your daily portion for holy delight. Take it as your quiet meditation and as the undercurrent of all of your thoughts. Make it your refuge. Make it your refreshment. Make it your preoccupation. Make it your creative impulse. Let it color your words in your views, in your dreams, in your plans. Let it be both the ground of your humility and your only boast. It's both. And brothers and sisters, let it fill the creases and the gaps in your heart. And even the large void 
that's in your heart that we all try to fill with other things. We cannot change our affections. But we can give our hearts to the atonement of Jesus every day. And watch as the atonement changes us. The atonement is the power of God to change people eternally and daily for Jesus' sake. Amen. Heavenly Father, we confess to you that the atonement is the thing we've heard the most about, but that we understand the least. We have only, we have not even scratched the surface of all of the meaning and all of the depth that is there. But we are people who would have our affections changed, Father. We don't want to desire Sin. We want our affections to change, but we just admit before you, we can't change ourselves. We've tried, and we can't do it. And so we simply look to the atonement of Jesus, believing that all of the power is there. We take it into our hearts today and make it our only delight and our only joy. Just say, Father, use Use all of the power that flows from Jesus' atonement still to change me. I have no hope apart from the atonement. It's my only hope for salvation eternally, and it's only hope for salvation today. So, Father, make these things a reality in the lives of your people for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.